You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Thank you, Mark. Uh, You know, I heard a joke one time. It said, beware of the old barber and the young doctor. And I'm pretty sure the same applies for the young preacher. So uh, I appreciate being out here. Thanks for the opportunity as I continue to learn. To everyone else, howdy and good morning. So good seeing you guys here. Thank you so much for welcoming me here uh, this morning. If you got a Bible or a smartphone, I encourage you to turn to Genesis chapter 27. Genesis chapter 27. And while you're turning there, I want to share with you guys a story. Um, this story is, is whenever I first started driving, so I was probably about 17 years old or so, and uh, it also happens to be my first run-in with the local police. So I'm going I'm to tell a little tale on myself this morning. Um, every morning going to school, my route to school would go directly through a neighborhood, and this neighborhood had a stop sign at every single block. So as you can probably imagine, traffic would, would back up. And what should be about a 10-minute drive to school would take sometimes 25, 30 minutes, depending on how bad the traffic was. Now, I was 17. I just started driving, and I knew it all. I said, you know what? Instead of having to sit in line like the rest of these schmucks, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to bypass this system. I'm going to work my way around it. And so what I would do is I would take a side street. I'd go down several streets, and I'd, I'd hit up um, that I'd bypass everything, hit up another street, and then go perpendicular down towards the way to school. And I could shave off five, sometimes 10 minutes off my drive by doing this. And I'm gonna admit, most of the time, this plan worked pretty well. There was me and a few other guys would do this, and it worked well. I can remember one time, it really didn't work in my favor. You see, I was coming down, I've already bypassed everyone, I was coming down that perpendicular street, and there was an officer in the intersection there to kind of help with traffic. So he'd wave this guy way on for a little while, stop him, wave the other way around, stop him. Well, he was waving traffic on from my street, and there was no one ahead of me for about 100 yards. There was a sizable gap. Most of the time, you would think that the officer would do that one thing that every line bypasser hates to see, the talk to the hand. And I was so worried about getting that talk to the hand. But so far, the officer kept ushering me forward. Well, although he was saying, come forward, I was, I was afraid I was going to have to stop. And so like a genius, in this a neighborhood where I'm supposed to go 20 miles an hour, I floored it. I'm going about 55 towards a police officer just to get to school, I don't know, like 15 minutes early. Uh, and so, and I'm going there, and, and he doesn't stop me at the, inter- at the stop sign. Oh, no. He, he does the ultimate talk to the hand. I'm talking two hands, pumping the brake, back arc, you know, has the whistle in the mouth. And he doesn't stop me at the stop sign. Oh, no. He ushers me right in the middle of the intersection in front of the Lord and everybody. And he comes up to me. I'm rolling down my window. And he says, son, when I do this, it doesn't mean I'm going to say, come on, come on, come on, stop. <laughs> I'm going to let you through, all right? There's no reason to break the law, no reason to speed up, no reason to put yourself or myself in danger. So next time when I do this, just trust me, huh? Yes, sir. He lets me go on through. No ticket, no warning, a lot of embarrassment on my part. Now, you might be wondering, why are you tattling on yourself this morning? Why are you telling this story? Well, I think that so many times, just as I I doubted this cop, I I doubted his, his will, and I doubted his means for accomplishing that will. If I would have just trusted him, I could have had a smooth sailing drive to campus. 
but instead, I try to manipulate the situation. I turn to deceit to make sure I got what I was after. I think sometimes we do the same thing with God. Sometimes that, that we feel a little uneasy about his will for our life. We feel a little uneasy about his means of accomplishing said will. Instead of trusting him, instead of being faithful, we might find ourselves turning to manipulation and deceit. Guys, I don't have to know all of you guys. I don't have to know what's going on in your life to know that there's probably been a point in time in your life that you found yourself doubting God, doubting what he's calling you to do, doubting his means of accomplishing his will or, or anything of that nature. The question is, is how foolish of it is it that we think that we can, we can earn God's favor by trying to adhere to some morality code that we made up? There's so many questions that we have, especially at the turn of a new year. What is God calling us to do in 2016? How is he calling us to deepen our relationship with him? possibly deepen our commitment here at, at Bethel White House or, or in other areas of ministry that he has you involved in? Is he calling you to stay and, and, and do a particular ministry here at White House? Is he calling you to move? Is he calling you to change jobs or, or stay at a job that you just feel like you don't like at all? All these questions and we, we wonder, does God really have our best interests at heart? Or is it just coincidence that we're here where we are right now? All these questions that, that, that go into our head, all these ways of doubting God, of trying to bypass his timing, his plan, his will, try to take things in our own hands, try to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. This can be nerve-wracking. And this, can, this nervous fear can leave us to wondering if we have God's favor and, and, and doubting him and, and who's in control. And there's all these insecurities. And these insecurities lead us from trusting in God's will instead of being faithful, we find ourselves maybe being faithless. My question that I want to address this morning is how do we trust in God's means when we are overwhelmed with insecurities about his will for us? How do we trust in God's means when we find ourselves overwhelmed with insecurities about his will for us? Well, as it turns out, I think that Genesis chapter 27, the story of Jacob stealing Esau's blessing can be quite applicable here today. You see, this passage, Genesis 27, is going to teach us that the will of God is achieved by the means of God rather than by our own manipulation and deceit. And so in reviewing this text, we're going to realize there is a problem, a solution, and finally we're going to see an application of how to put everything together. So we're going to go ahead and dive into this passage by first examining the problem that is put forward from this text. And the problem is this. We tend to deal with insecurity through manipulation and deceit, which only creates a false sense of security. We tend to deal with, with our insecurities through manipulation and deceit, which only creates a false sense of security. Now, as we begin, we're going to be looking at, at a specific family here, the clan of Isaac. And so we're going to break all this down. We're going to look at that problem through the clan of Isaac. And before we look at his family, I'm reminded that as a kid, I absolutely loved Jeff Foxworthy jokes. I mean, I thought he was the funniest man on the planet. And there's one particular joke that, I, that it stuck with me all this time. It's about family. He says, if you think you have the goofiest, craziest, most dysfunctional family in the world, all you have to do is go to the state fair. Because five minutes at the state fair and you'll say, you know what? We're all right. We're dang near royalty. I've, I've had that experience at the state fair. And I got to say, that is true. But I'll do you one better. You don't even have to go to the state fair. You don't even have to go to Walmart. All you got to do 
is, is stay in your home and open up the Bible, and you'll realize there are some dysfunctional families here in the Bible. You know, I think we're all right. I think we're going to make it after reading some of these family passages. Genesis 27 is one of those stories of a very dysfunctional lot. You see the clan of Isaac. Isaac is that promised son of Abraham. You know, Abraham uh, was promised by God that he would receive a specific land, and with that land that he would be made into a great and powerful, mighty nation. One day, when him and his wife were, I don't know, about 90, 100, you know, they're, they're fairly up there, God says, I'm going to give you a son. And he gave them this promised son of Isaac. And after all this time of, of Abraham having to go back and forth, learning how to trust God, learning how to be faithful, God says, I want you to take your son, your only son, the son that you love, Isaac. I want you to sacrifice him to me. Now, at this point in time, Abraham could have said, but, but God, you promised, you promised you'd make me into a great and mighty nation through this son. But he doesn't do that. He is faithful to God. And he says, you know what? If God has to raise the dead, he's going to do that because he has already promised to bless me through this particular son. Well, luckily, Abraham never had to go through trying to sacrifice his son. God stopped that, realizing that Abraham was faithful. So Isaac eventually grows up. He gets a wife named Rebekah, and the two of them have twin boys. The first one is named Esau. Now Esau is described, I, I think he has my favorite biblical description. It says he is a red and hairy man. I just want to know how hairy do you have to be that the Bible says he's a hairy man. And I've seen some hairy folk. So that just always, always, you know, kind of, I can't wrap my mind around that. It says he's an outdoorsman. He's a man's man. He's always accompanied by his quiver and his bow. He loves making wild game stew, all right? He he's wants to be outdoors. It says that uh, his brother was grasping at his heel. His twin brother came out second, and he is the opposite. He's quiet. He likes the indoors, you know, a little, little shyer, maybe a little more of an introvert. And so those are these, these two boys. Now, this family feud begins fairly early in their life. I'm talking we have some prenatal struggles going on, right? They're still in the womb, and there is, there's one thing for baby to kick a little bit, but there's some WWE action going on in the womb here. Uh, so much so that Rebecca's like, I don't know if this is normal. And so she prays to God. She's like, God, what's going on? Uh, there seems to be a lot of struggle in here. And he says, yeah, there is a lot of struggle. And you see, you have two nations in your womb. And in fact, the older is going to serve the younger. So right off the bat, Genesis 25, we got this divine prophecy that Jacob is going to be above Esau. Well, as soon as they're born, the Bible doesn't waste much time. In fact, the end of chapter 25 says that Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Kids, can you believe that? These parents picked their favorite child. That's like your worst nightmare, right? Parents don't do that. I don't know. I'm not a parent. Um, so they have their favorite child. Already you have mom and son, dad and son, kind of button heads a little bit. Well, as the two siblings grow up, this feud just continues a little bit. And there's one day, the story says that uh, Esau came in from hunting some wild game. He was in the fields, and he was absolutely famished. And he pulls the diva card. He says, I'm starving. Give me some food. I'm about to die. But Jacob, Jacob has other plans. Jacob says, oh, yeah, how hungry are you? Are you willing to sell me your birthright for being firstborn? And there's this back and forth going on here between Esau and Jacob. And finally, Esau is so hungry that he sells his birthright to his brother Jacob just for a piece of, of stew. And it's here that Jacob, or in the Hebrew, Jacob, which means may God protect, he gets the nickname Hakob, which means betrayer or heel grabber. Now, so far, the backstory is pretty clear. 
there's some deep-rooted issues in this family. But so far, this seems to be Jacob's story so far. We see that Jacob receives this divine prophecy that he's going to rule over his brothers. We see that he has stolen this birthright from, uh, from the brother. And he may not be his father's favorite, but he has those other things going for him, which is nice. But there's one more piece of backstory that's going to serve to be the icing on the cake. The end of chapter 26 says that Esau took for himself two Hittite wives, and it made life bitter for Rebekah and Isaac. And you're wondering, why does that make life bitter for them? Well, this is still a little nation in the making. Isaac's kids are supposed to be the ones to make Abraham into a great and mighty nation. And so for this little, this little community, this nation that, that's still in the works, for them to pledge allegiance to Yahweh and Yahweh alone, having this foreign influence at such an intimate level uh, could really break that allegiance they have to Yahweh. That could make them maybe want to serve foreign foreign gods, and so there's a little bit of an issue there. And so that's kind of the backstory where we have so far. So far, this is Jacob's story. So far, we see Jacob, he's set up for success. But will that continue to be the case? It's here that I invite you to turn along as I read from Genesis 27, starting verses 1 through 4. When Isaac was old, and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son, Esau answered, here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, so that my soul may bless you before I die. Now at this point, we see that Isaac is an old man who's going blind. He's roughly about 100 years old. And he doesn't realize it, but he's going to live about another 80 years. So he's barely over the halfway mark in his life. But still, 100 years old, I think it's, it's reasonable to think, hey, I'm probably going to die soon. Um, so fearing death is right around the corner, he summons his favorite son, Esau. Uh, he says, go hunt, make stew, and I will bless you. Now, I want you to try to imagine what's going on to the original audience when they heard this. So far, this seems to be spoon-feeding Jacob uh, this blessing. But all of a sudden, the text says something different. All of a sudden, it says Esau is going to receive a blessing? That, that doesn't seem quite right. Right now, Star Wars is one of the biggest things in the cinematic universe since, well, since Star Wars. Um, and I'm not going to spoil episode seven. If you, if you haven't seen it, go see it. Um, there are some spoiler alerts if you've only seen, if you've never seen it, if you've only seen one, two, and three or whatever. So I ruined Star Wars for an eight-year-old girl last week. I'm, I'm, I can't believe I did it. It's one of the worst things I ever did in my life. But imagine that episodes one, two, and three came out before four, five, and six. Now imagine that they're good so that people would still like Star Wars. Pretend with me that, that you, you're kind of watching Star Wars from Obi-Wan Kenobi's mindset. You see little Anakin. You see that he has this way with the Force, that he, uh, the Force is strong with him, that he might be the chosen one, that he is the one that can bring balance to the Force. You see his potential. You see how amazingly gifted he is. You see what an awesome Jedi he is. And then imagine the sheer horror of seeing him turn to the dark side, of seeing him pledge his allegiance to the Emperor and, and becoming a Sith and going in a completely different direction from where he was going beforehand. I mean, I just look at the, the scene from episode three where Obi-Wan Kenobi is, is staring at him and says, you are the chosen one. But they had that, that lightsaber battle and, and, and Anakin is left with, with nothing whatsoever. His fate is wrapped up with Darth Vader. And I get it, that might be a little bit of a dramatic comparison, 
But I think that's the only thing in my mind that I can really think about is, so far, Jacob's the chosen one. But, but the story's saying something different. The story's saying that, that Esau is going to receive this blessing. What we see here is Moses being divinely inspired as a clever storyteller. He's drawing the reader into the story as, as someone that is drawn into this tension. You're not just going to see this from a third angle, but you're actually supposed to be torn apart a little bit by the tension that's happening here. Why? Because Isaac is trying to manipulate the will of God. As we pro progress through this text, I want you to pay attention to a couple things. I want you to notice the repetition of the words such as game and tasty food that I love. We see that Isaac, his blindness isn't just physical, it's spiritual. It reflects what's going on in his soul. He doesn't want to bless his son uh, Esau spiritually. He wants to bless him just to appease his indulgent appetite because apparently Esau should be cooking for the food network. Now with this plot twist, there's a couple of questions that I would like to address. First of all, why does Isaac want to just bless one son instead of blessing both of them? If you were continuing to read Genesis, you would see that the patriarchs had no problem having a specific blessing for each of their sons. Why does he want to uh, bless Esau in private? The Old Testament example seems to be a blessing with a public affair. Second, can Esau, or can Isaac bless Esau only? He gave up his birthright. That naturally leads to the question, what is the difference between the birthright and the blessing? Well, biblical scholar Bruce Waltke says the birthright was the inheritance of property. The blessing, on the other hand, was the giving of divine potency, prosperity, and dominion. Together, they make the inheritor the primary carrier of the family heritage. You see, the two cannot be uh, divorced. Another commentator goes on to say that the recipient of the birthright and the blessing becomes the head of the family, the one who carries the family tradition, defining the family's understanding of itself, speaking for the family, and carry on the family's direction. So when Isaac wants to offer this blessing to Esau, Esau wants to divorce the two, right? He, he wants to say, oh, I've given up the birthright, but I can still get that blessing. On one hand, he sees that he's passed up the birthright. That's the legal responsibilities of a family, managing property, uh, real estate transactions, budget, numbers, responsibility. On the other hand, he sees the blessing, divine favor, wealth, dominion over his brother, power. In Esau's mind, he's passed up the ledger books, calculators, and contracts, but if daddy wants to offer the Corvette, who's he to say no? Esau wants the power, but he's rejected the responsibility. Of course, we know from the wise old words of Uncle Ben, with great power comes great responsibility. The two cannot be separated. So this is an intriguing story because the reader is immediately drawn into as someone caught in the tension. We know the will of God but so far, events are, are unfolding contrary to that will. The good for, thing for us is that we are not lone observers in what's going on. Rebecca is eavesdropping, and she realizes that trouble is a brewing. Follow along as I read from verse 5 through verse 17. Now, Rebecca was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt game and bring it, Rebecca said to her son Jacob, I heard your father Speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I commanded you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I can prepare from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, 
My brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be upon me, my son. Only go and bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on the hands on the smooth parts of his neck, and she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hands of her son, Jacob. So in a little nutshell, we see that Rebekah and Jacob are insecure of the likelihood of Jacob receiving the promised blessing. Their insecurity for the unknown future of Jacob leads them to turn away from God's means, and instead they take the situation in their own hands. They turn to that manipulation and deceit that we were talking about so far. In verses 5 through 17, those two schemers cook up a brilliant plan to dress Jacob up like Sasquatch while the mother would make a, a, a cabrito stew. Meanwhile, the dim-eyed and apparently ill-palated Isaac would be none the wiser, and he would give the blessing to Jacob over Esau. Now, at this point in time, you might be wondering, you mentioned that there's a problem presented in this text. Why is this a problem? God promised to bless Jacob over Esau. Aren't they just doing what they're supposed to to ensure that Jacob receives that blessing? I mean, couldn't this just be God's way of, of, of making sure they get that blessing? I want to stop there and make a couple observations. Number one, God did indeed already promise that Jacob would get the blessing over Esau. We see uh, back in chapter 25, verses 23, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two people from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. This is a direct prophecy from God to Rebekah, promising her that, that Jacob would receive the blessing over Esau. This is kind of interesting to note that this transaction, this story, occurs only a couple chapters after Abraham and his act of faith and almost having to sacrifice Isaac. If any family, this, this family being the direct descendants of, of, of that, if any family should trust that God would be true to his promises, it should be this family. But instead, they turn to insecurities about the mean of God. They turn to that manipulation and deceit. They don't trust him. They don't remember what he's done in their family history. Observation number two, everyone in this text is so preoccupied with receiving the blessing. Both parents want the blessing to go to a particular child, and both childs, they want the blessing for themselves. In fact, the word bless or blessings occurs about 20 times in Genesis 27 alone. We've already seen Isaac's desire to bless Esau and, and the way that he does it in this private kind of secretive affair but what about Rebecca? How does she kind of ensure this blessing? Look again at verse 6 with me, chapter 27, verse 6. Rebecca said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Notice she doesn't say, I heard my husband speak to my son. No, no, no. She, she kind of has this us versus them language. She says, your father, your son. She's separating herself from them. She goes on. Uh, to try to persuade Jacob to following her plan, she tries to she tries to embellish Jacob's words. Sorry, Isaac's words to Esau. Look at verse four. Verse four, J 
sorry, I'm getting mixed up in my head. Verse 4, Isaac is telling his son Esau, prepare for me delicious food such as I love. Bring it to me that I may eat so that my soul may bless you before I die. Soul bless you before I die. In verse 7, when Rebekah is kind of talking to Jacob, she says that my soul may bless you before the Lord before I die. You see that she's embellishing what Isaac said in the first place. She's adding before the Lord. Now, it is true that this kind of shows a different perspective from the two parents. We already looked at about how Isaac is just wanting to indulge his appetite. He's not looking at it, spiritual things. Rebecca, being the one that was received this particular prophecy from the Lord, she realizes that if anyone's getting blessed, it's because of the Lord's doing. So she does add because of the Lord. But this embellishment, it's, it's not right. Uh, Waltke says that her spiritual morals are sound, but her method is deplorable. Again, her, her morals are sound, but her method is deplorable. She's turning to manipulation and deceit. She's lying about what, Jacob, what Isaac said to his son. Deplorable or not, Rebecca and Jacob's plan actually works. Follow along as I read, beginning in verse 18. So he went into his father and said, My father, this is, this is Jacob speaking. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I'm Esau your firstborn. I've done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? Jacob answered, because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near, that I may feel you, my son, to know whether or not you are Esau. Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice. But the hands were the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother. Seriously, how hairy do you have to be that goat skin makes you feel like your brother? His hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him and he said to him, Are you really my son Esau? Jacob answered, I am. And he said, Bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate it. And he brought him wine he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So Jacob came near and kissed him. Isaac smelled the smell of the garments and blessed him and said, see the smell of my son is as the smell of the field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you. Let nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blessed you. Let's skip down and go to verse 41. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing in which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her oldest son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise and flee to Laban, my brother, in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of both of you in one day? So in a nutshell, Jacob receives the blessing from his father. The plan actually works. Esau finds out, and well, he mad. 
quite understandably. In fact, he even threatens to kill his brother Jacob, who is forced to flee. So if we break down this passage, we see that Jacob gets the blessing, but only in a false sense. He has this false sense of security. He's received this blessing, but he doesn't know whether or not it's going to come true. He doesn't know if it's going to come to pass because he is forced to flee from his brother who wants to kill him. Now, it's easy for us to look back at this family. It's easy for us to look at any number of this family and say, you guys are a bunch of doofuses. I mean, you are so jacked up. Why won't you just trust God? It's in your, you are the family of faith. You're supposed to be the ones that, that have this great relationship with God. It's easy for us to look at them and say, you got it all wrong. But the question I have for us this morning is, don't we do similar things? I mean, don't we find ourselves in the very same situations? I mentioned earlier that this passage of Scripture displays a problem. That problem is that we tend to deal with insecurity through manipulation and deceit which creates a false sense of security. I mean, think about it. Like Isaac, we tend to ignore God's will for our own will, thinking that if we act in secrecy and deal in private, we can bypass God's plan for for what we want, what we see things should happen. Like Rebecca, sometimes our love for the things of this world can cause us to distrust God's timing and try to take matters into our own hands. Like Esau, we may find ourselves rejecting the responsibilities that come with being children of God and focus only on the blessing that we think we're owed by God, maybe instead pouting about not receiving what we think God should give us. Like Jacob, our desire to be blessed, our desire to receive that which God has promised us right here, right now, may cause us to reject God's plan for our own plan. Turning away from trust and faithfulness to manipulation and deceit. Our worry about what God should be doing to us and for us and through us might lead us to break the greatest of the two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. We know that when we do these things, when our insecurities about the will of God and his means of accomplishing this will turn to faithlessness, we end up like Jacob, left with nothing but a false sense of security. Why? Because it's it's, it's our own path. It's our own determination. And we can, we can never know what's going to happen if, if we're the ones that, that are going to determine the outcome. We see that each person here isn't a doofus. They're us. Their problem is our problem. So if, so if their problem, this problem that we all share is that when we get insecure about what God's doing to us, through us, when we turn instead to manipulation and deceit, what then can the solution be? I think this passage presents the solution is this. We can be secure in knowing that God's will is sovereign. Our solution is that we can be secure in knowing that God's will is sovereign. Having said that, there are two points to this statement. Number one, nothing can change the will of God. Nothing can change the will of God. It was always God's will to bless Jacob over Esau, just as it was always God's will to bless Abraham through Isaac, just as it was always God's will to make atonement for our sins based on the shed blood of his son, Jesus Christ. I love the example that comes from the life of Billy Graham. Billy Graham wanted to be a military chaplain. And so uh, back in the day, he went and tried to become a military chaplain, and he failed the the first test. I think it was a fitness test or something like that. He failed it. Went back again, failed it again. Now, I don't know how it is in the military these days, but I know back when he was trying, you had three chances to get all of your stuff together, to pass all the tests, to get all the requirements. You're out. You were done, and, and the military didn't want anything to do with you. 
So he comes back the third time. This is his dream. What a noble plan to be a military chaplain. He comes back again, and they find out that he has the mumps. The mumps. Who gets the mumps? Billy Graham never got to be a military chaplain. So instead, he became an evangelist. Because of his evangelistic crusades, over 3.2 billion, that's billion with a B, 3.2 billion people had heard the message of the gospel. Because of his faithful preaching, 3.2 million people personally accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, making Billy Graham one of the most faithful and well-known evangelists in the history of Christendom. God never had plans to make Billy Graham a military chaplain. Although that was what Billy wanted to do, although that was noble, God says, I have other plans for you. The will of God cannot be changed. Therefore, if nothing can change the will of God, then the second point is that a genuine blessing from God can be trusted. A genuine blessing from God can be trusted. Turn with me to that brief section that we skipped, beginning in chapter 27, verse 30. This is right after Jacob receives the blessing from Esau. Jacob's heading out the door. Esau's coming back on the scene. Verse 30. And so, as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father... Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, Who are you? He answered, I'm your firstborn son, Esau. Esau, Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that had hunted game and brought it to me, that I ate of it before you came? I had blessed him. Yes, he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard these words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said to him, Your brother came in deceitfully. He has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? Is he not rightly named Hacob, deceiver, heel grabber? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, behold, I have made him Lord over you and all your brothers I have given him for servants. With grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, have you but one blessing for me, my father? Bless me, even me also, O oh my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and he wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered him and said to him, behold, Away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By the sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you are grow restless, you shall break his yoke from around your neck. This passage so, shows us that a genuine blessing from God can be trusted. I want you to look at two specific verses again. Look at verse 33. Verse 33, it says, Isaac trembled very violently because he realized what had happened. He realized that, that although he wanted to bless his favorite son, that blessing that he gave wasn't just mere words. In fact, he was, he was God's mouthpiece for God to distill this blessing upon Jacob. He trembled very violently, and he said, who did I bless? Yes, yes, surely he shall be blessed. And again, at the end of verse 37, he says to his son, what then can I do for you, my son? I have already offered him all the blessing. I've already offered him everything that God has for him. I can't reverse that. 
a genuine blessing from God can be trusted. You see, at this point in time, Isaac realized his mistake. He realized his foolishness in trying to bypass the will of God and trying to bless his favorite son, instead of what God prophesied would happen, instead of what God had promised would happen. So much so that, that, that he, he owns up to his mistake, and he doesn't just take this one blessing, but the beginning of chapter 28, he actually gives the full Abrahamic blessing to his son, Jacob. He gives him this promise of land. He gives him this promise of making him, not his brother Esau, into a great and powerful nation. You see that Jacob, everything has gone to his favor. This genuine blessing that God has promised to give to Jacob had come to pass. And, it, and although Jacob did what he could to, to make that happen, it was God's timing. It was God's doing that made that happen. So you see, Isaac realizes... Um, that, that he is foolishness. Uh, it's important for us to stop right there and realize what this means for us. The promises of God's blessing reign true even in the midst of our insecure activities. It's lucky for Jacob that despite his manipulation, despite his deceit, despite him turning away from God, that God still granted him everything that he promised him. Likewise, we too will continue to be doofuses. We'll continue to screw things up. We'll continue to distrust and, and be faithless at times. But the good news for us is that like Jacob, we can trust that God will give us what he has promised us. If it is the will of God for us to be in a certain situation, we can trust in his means that he will bring it to come to pass. This story, this dysfunctional family, it's wrong on so many levels. But how freeing is it? How reassuring is it that, blessing, that Jacob receives this blessing anyway? Where there is the promise of God, there is the grace of God. This should give us freedom in knowing that our lives don't have to be perfect. It should reassure us to know that we're allowed to still have some doubts and questions about how God is going to achieve what he, is, what he has for us, but he is still going to be sovereign in all that. With that being said, there's another side to that coin. It's equally important for us to remember that while Jacob did receive this blessing in spite of his insecure activities, these actions that he did created circumstances and discomforts that could have been bypassed. Because of his dealings, he has a ruptured relationship with his brother. Right now, he still has this false sense of security. We as the reader knows that he's going to receive everything that God promised, but he still has to flee for his life. This may or may not be the very last time that he ever sees his mother. There were consequences to his actions, and there might be consequences for us too. We can know that there's grace in our mistakes, but there might be consequences in trying to bypass the will of God or trying to take advantage of others or, or trying to turn to manipulation and deceit and trying to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, as I mentioned earlier. So in a sense, to try to wrap things up, let's have a quick review. This passage teaches us that, that their problem is our problem, that oftentimes we, turn to, uh, we, we take our insecurity about what God's doing, and we turn to manipulation and deceit. We say, I'm not going to trust God, but I have the means of making it happen, so I'm going to go and do. That only leads to a false sense of security. So instead of turning to manipulation and deceit, our solution is to, is to instead be secure in knowing that God's will is sovereign. But if you're anything like me, you're like, that's all well and good. That's great church language, but how do I get there? I, you can't just say, trust God's will is sovereign. Thanks, Matt. That's great. Wonderful sermon. See you later. That's hard to do. So how do we get from point A to point B? That's where I want to bring the application in for us this morning, that we can be secure in knowing that God's will is sovereign, that when we find ourselves insecure, when we find ourselves maybe doubting God, I want you to do this one thing. I want you to take a moment, I want you to pray. And in your prayer, I want you to praise God 
for a past blessing in your life and how he accomplished it. Praise God for a past blessing in your life and the means of accomplishing that blessing. You see, while these are true events, Moses is the first one to record them from this oral tradition into a written tradition, that God dictated him what to say when when he was uh, on Mount Sinai. And while he's writing all this, his original audience was for the Israelites. And they're kind of at a crossroads in in their life. You see, God has already delivered them from Egypt. They, they were in a land where they were slaves to Egypt, and God brought them out of Egypt, brought them out of the bondage of slavery, released them from their shackles, and they are free. And God promised to make them into a great and mighty nation, into the promised land. But they're not yet there. They're still in their desert. They're still awaiting that promise that they have received. And as you can probably imagine, life probably isn't the best where it is in the desert. There's a lot of grumbling going on. There's a lot of discomforts. Eventually, because of all this faithlessness they have, they're forced to wander for 40 years, but God is still faithful to them. We know that, but they're still at this crossroads. All they can do right now is look ahead, be filled with hope of what God's going to bring them to, but they can also look back at everything that God has done for them so far, about how his will has has been made right by his means and his means alone. And so Moses writes this story remind his people that although the future is still yet uncertain, you can look back and praise God for that blessing of bringing us out of Egypt. And so the same is true for us. We're kind of at a crossroads right now. This is the beginning of a new year. With the beginning of a new year, there's a lot of hope about I'm finally going to work out and, 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 and get that body that I've always wanted in my mind. I'm finally going to get a get-rich-quick scheme. You know, whatever it is, that we have this hope but sometimes our hope can, can be, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray with my family every day, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be true to what God has called me to, no matter how difficult it is. For some of you, maybe this is something you've been wrestling with for a while, and you find yourselves at a crossroad wondering, what's going to happen to me in, in, in 2016? Those financial burdens I've had, they're, they're still going on. My kids are growing up, and I'm forced to, to wonder how to continue to raise them as young, godly men and women. There, there, there are problems that we have. There's, there's nervous anxiety that the new year brings. How are we going to continue to grow with the Lord? I mean, I feel like I just spent another year with God, and I still feel so far away from him. I'm another year older, but none the wiser. We see ourselves so full of hope, but so full of wonder. And sometimes with a new year, we can feel this anxious feeling at the pit of our stomach. We can feel this nervous sweat roll down our forehead about, how are we going to get through yet another year? How am I going to be faithful to God this year? How is it going to look differently from what it has in the past? So this week, this year, whenever you find yourself nervous about God's will for your life, when you find yourself nervous about his means of accomplishing this will, of, of keeping you going, of being faithful to him, of not wanting to turn away from him to your own plan, I encourage you to take a moment to pray, either by yourself or maybe with, with a loved one. In that prayer, I want you to praise God for a past blessing in your life. This being the start of a new year, it might be a great time to look back in 2015, kind of reflect upon the past year, and and, and look at how God has provided for you, how he has put you where you are now. Maybe it was a time that you feel yourself, you have this huge financial strain, and and there was no way you're going to get out of that, and yet somehow, miraculously almost, everything seemed to work itself out. Maybe there's a time that you were just feeling some depression and, and, and lonely and, and, and maybe in a spiritual rut, and yet you got a phone call right when you needed it. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it didn't happen in 2015. Maybe you have to look a few years back. 
For some of us, this might be a pretty easy exercise. For others, it might take some soul searching. But I invite you, in this time of new beginnings, when you find yourself nervous about God's will, when you find yourself wanting to distrust him, take a moment and pray. and Praise God for a past blessing. And even thank him for the specific means that he worked out that blessing in your life. I want you to know um, that God has been faithful to his people for millennium, millennia. He's going to continue to be faithful to you and I. He's put you in a specific situation, a specific place for a reason. When you find yourself doubting and wondering, take a stop. Take a second. Stop. Pray. Praise God for past blessings and how he accomplished it. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you for the very specific ways that you have blessed us in our life. Not just saying that, yeah, you've blessed me, that, that I'm, I'm here. Not, not, nothing general. Very specifically, God, it's good for us to look back and say, yeah, God, that was your hand. That was your timing. That was your touch. It's good for us to know that we're not in this alone. It's good for us to be reminded that, that when we try to take these situations into our own hand, when we try to bypass your will, that we might only be left with a false sense of security, that, that sense of faithlessness, that, that doubt, that wondering won't go away if we just do everything in our own power to make things work how we see them. Allow us to have a divine perspective. Allow us to know your great, beautiful will for our life. Allow us to see your hand in all of it. We love you so much, Lord. We know that you love us. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.